Hey guys, we're back, and this is the sort of uh, intro-less version of the new season. The reason I did this is because I'm not much of an announcer, and I'm not really much of a musician either, so instead of putting the old uh, tunes on it and the old, you know, <laughs> weird announcer that I had, I think I paid $5 for it on Fiverr, I just wanted to quickly welcome you here. Uh, if you haven't listened to the actual Fluency podcast before, it's basically a podcast for language learners and aspiring polyglots who want stories of successful language learners or polyglots and get to know how to actually learn languages. So we go into depth on topics like how to learn vocabulary, how to maintain and activate languages, how to best uh, master pronunciation, how to live in anywhere in the world, how to study better, memory tips, everything that you need to become a better language learner. But anyway, I have a little uh, request for you. If you are anyone with uh, a little bit of a musical talent or maybe you have a good voice, uh, send me an email, chris at actualfluency.com if you want to help me create some cool intros and outros and maybe some you know, music in between, some uh, background music that I can use to uh, make the new series even better, then uh, please send me a message. Um, I don't have a massive budget, just <laughs> so you don't waste your time. Uh, but if you if you are a uh, sort of hobby enthusiast, I, I definitely do will compensate in, in the best way that I can. So chris at actualfluency.com, send me your... Uh, Send me your email and, uh, you know, let's make it great. <laughs> let's make the podcast great again, right? Uh, but anyway, here is the uh, actual real introduction. This episode is brought to you by Glossika. Glossika provides a unique way to acquire fluency in a foreign language by focusing on listening and speaking skills introduced in via sentence patterns so that you can learn on how to control the sentences that you want to say step by step. You can get started now by going to actualfluency.com forward slash Glossika. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the Actual Fluency Podcast, which is super exciting because it's been quite a while since I, I put out a new episode. And uh, many of you have been wondering, what has Chris been up to? You know, why are there no new episodes? What's been going on? And I want to just quickly tell you what's been going on. Uh, but first, I want to obviously recommend, first of all, you go to actualfluency.com and join the email list where I often send an email usually about once a week updating on what I'm up to, what's been going on, everything in that order. And the second suggestion I'll have is the new podcast I'm doing. So I didn't only bring back this podcast, the Actual Fluency Podcast, I'm actually bringing out a new one called Language Learner Weekly, where each week I sit down and talk in, in sort of a segmented way so it's a few short segments about what's been going on that week what's on my mind what's in the news and take questions and comments from the listeners as well and i did decide to do this new podcast because i felt the actual fluency podcast was more of a, a timeless thing so i wanted to talk to someone like richard simcott and have his language learning tips and tricks that you can listen to on the day of the release of the episode, but also five years from now. And actually we're getting close to five years now, I guess, so that, that becomes quite relevant. But what I always felt awkward doing was like I'm doing now, I guess I'm guilty of, is in the beginning of the episode, if you're tuning in later, you know, what sense does it make to, uh, you know, be told that the polygon gathering is coming up next week or, you know, all these things that are, are just not relevant at all. And I I look through the previous episodes and 
there are some episodes that are completely pointless now, which is a shame. But of course, when they came out, they were quite interesting. So I always had this dilemma of balancing timelessness and uh, timeliness, which is also important because obviously we're in the thick of it. We're learning the languages now, and this is where we need the support. So I'm running an experiment with the new show called Language Learner Weekly, which is on a new app called Anchor, uh, you know, like the ship's anchor. And what it allows me to do is, first of all, it's quite easy to use for me. So it's not it's not adding a lot of work for me to produce. Of course, I still need to actually uh, record it and, and organize content and everything. But the app itself is very intuitive. And it allows the listener, that is you, for instance, to send me questions directly in the app, to listen to the segments that you want to listen to. So for instance, with the actual Fluency podcast, you won't, weren't really able to listen to different parts of the episode. All you could do was the all of it or nothing. <laughs> so with the new uh, podcast, I hope to make it a little bit more sn uh, snappy, you know, five, 10 minute segments, maybe three segments per episode, including mailbag and, and news and everything. And so I hope to make it more of a half hour show, really. So you can listen to it pretty much on the bus or train or commute. Um, whereas this podcast will probably always be sort of the hour mark, just because it's more in-depth, it's more discussion, uh, it's drilling down into very specific topics. Um, so I hope you give a language learner a try. You know, the the easiest way to get started with listening to that is anchor.fm slash language learner. And in there you can choose different feeds, you know, there's iTunes, there's Overcast, there's all these <laughs> different ways of listening to it. But of course the best experience is through the Anchor app itself because you can then pick the segments, you can send me messages directly. But if you don't want to install yet another app, I totally understand you. And um, if you just want to listen to the whole episode as one, you can use iTunes, it's totally fine that way. So let's get into it, <laughs> today's episode. I thought about how to restart the series and I was thinking for a moment to make like a, a, a long solo episode, but I feel like I've been making a lot of solo episodes lately, probably to excuse for my poor logistics, you know, with not having a place to live and, um, well, I guess I should give you the quick story. So. I was living in Budapest in 2015-2016. I had my own flat there for most of the time, and I was producing episodes quite regularly. That was pretty much my only job. I was working on actual fluency, language learning, teaching Danish as a full-time job. Um, but when I took a month off to go to Canada for the uh, North American Polyglot Symposium, which is today Montreal Langfest, I came back to Budapest, which was completely messed up, I was very unlucky, but basically I quit my apartment when I left because I thought there's no point in paying rent two places, and my lease was ending by then anyway because I'd been in Budapest for a year, so I thought, okay, I'll just find a new flat when I come back. But by then, th the work I was doing had sort of uh, reduced a bit, and I was lower income than before, so the idea of renting an apartment for, say, 600 euros plus bills per month was suddenly becoming a bit unrealistic. Uh, I managed to find a place with, uh, where that price included the bills, uh, but it was terrible. It was like an old hotel, and it didn't have internet, for one, which was awful. It didn't have much privacy. There was uh, very thin walls, so I couldn't really record much, and that's why I took a really long break. Then I moved back to 
Denmark because everything was just collapsing. I was living outside of Budapest suddenly in this abandoned hotel with the worst hotel owner ever with the, you know, no internet, bad rooms. It was all bad. And I was getting depressed almost, you know. Um, so I moved back to Denmark intending to rejoin university, try and finish my degree. I figured if I had a degree, I could get into some kind of job or um, <laughs> career or something. But um, I couldn't start until September. And even then, the university questioned my previous merits. Uh, basically, there was some issues over one exam that I had misunderstood or something and I didn't show up for one and I thought okay if I don't show up I can always show up for the next one and uh, but apparently that counts against you somehow and and therefore um, they considered they didn't consider my leaving the university quite uh, I don't know honorable uh, I didn't know at the time but whatever uh, it doesn't bother me anymore but um, I realized that I had to kind of make a new start and 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 get going so I decided to move to the UK. I always liked the UK and um, I knew that I didn't want to live in Denmark, which is a bit tough because that's where my family is. That's where I'm from. But I always felt like something was missing. And so I decided to go to the UK and um, I put on, I, I searched for Danish jobs in the UK and I found, I think about 10 or so job posts from you know Dublin to London to uh, Edinburgh to Manchester and it was exactly Manchester that I was lucky enough to get a call back from a, a rental car company running a call center in Manchester and they offered me sort of a an entry-level job with a basic salary and that allowed me to move over find a room start to get a routine and I figured as long as I had a job, you know, I could always try and look for something else um, to kind of start some some kind of a career instead of just being in a entry level job. But anyway, uh, eight months passed and I was sort of half looking for jobs, not seriously, but every once in a while I would just check what was out there, do a few half-assed uh, <laughs> attempts at apl applications. And then finally things happened. I... Uh, got a recruiter calling me about a job in about an hour away from Manchester in a city called Stoke-on-Trent, which is actually a collection of cities that's kind of merged into one. And uh, this job would offer me much better pay, but more importantly, it would be a step up in that it had much more responsibility. It was a corporate job, uh, you know, not that the other wasn't, but it was more of a sweatshop, really more of a call center, where it seemed like with the new job, it was more of a you're part of a something bigger and you're selling your own products now whereas before we were sort of affiliating for rental car companies so with that in mind i applied and i went through a series of interviews and uh, even a medical test a test for <laughs> drugs and stuff and i was lucky enough to be offered the job in stoke-on-trent so now i had to move there because obviously i wasn't going to commute one hour in the morning on the train if i had to be at work at seven so i moved down and i was so lucky it was incredible how lucky i was to find a two-bedroom apartment literally a stone's throw from work which was in decent condition it was um in a in a nice looking neighborhood and it was within my budget so that's what's been going on you're listening to this from my new apartment which is also why i can do these episodes now i'm not sure if the neighbors can actually hear me but um i'm guessing they can't because it's 
quite thick walls here. But anyway, that's enough about me. Uh, today's guest, uh, as I said, I thought about it for a long time. Who should I have uh, on the first episode back? And there was one name that was coming up, and it is Robin McPherson. If you've listened to the podcast before, I'm sure you've uh, you know Robin. He was on episodes nine, ten, and forty-five, I believe. And in the first two, we were talking sort of philosophically about where to live. Um, we get into all that in, in, in the episode itself. But more importantly, Robin has, has been really growing. And he's had a lot of trouble as well, a lot of struggles as a sort of he's trying to find his way still from back then. He's lived in a handful of countries, as he'll tell you about in a minute. But he also recently turned a milestone and, and finished writing a book about language learning called uh, How to Maintain Languages or Maintaining Languages, sorry. And I saw the book and I was completely amazed. You know, the content itself is not even the... I wouldn't even judge that the most because I know that Robin knows his stuff. So I was kind of glancing at, at, at the tips and tricks. Uh, but the visual representation and just the achievement of writing a big, nice-looking book with great content in it made me think, you know, this is the perfect time to bring one of the most... Uh, loved guests. I often get comments about Robin's uh, episodes that people listen to it and react to it. And Robin tells me that he keeps getting comments about people finding him through the podcast episodes. So uh, with that in mind, I wanted to have him back and, and talk about maintaining and reactivating languages because during the actual fluency, we've talked a lot about learning languages. So how do you actually maintain them? What does it take to be a 10-language polyglot that actually speaks them all quite well. And are there any things we can do during the learning process to actually make sure that our long-term results are better? So all that and more is going to be answered in this episode. And thank you so much for listening. And all right. Well, we're back with the Actual Fluency Podcast. It's been a long time, but finally, I found a place where I can record my own apartment, you see. It's around here, and who better to invite back for the first episode of the podcast, or the first new episode, than a podcast regular, my good friend Robin McPherson. Oh, yes. <laughs> Hello, mate. Jumping in, um, and you know, we were talking about right before we started recording how it's been three years since the last appearance, like let alone the first one. I know, one. I can't believe it. You know, I was expecting us to spend maybe five, ten minutes on catching the readers up, but it, maybe we need a, a two-parter for this one. Um, but anyway, uh, people obviously remember you for the episode we did on methods, which was the last one. You were talking a lot about how you devised your method uh, based largely on subtitles at the time. You were very influenced by that. And then we had the first episode, which was a very philosophical episode about you know, where to live in the world and finding <laughs> home. You remember you were doing that YouTube series about mm -hmm. uh, your experiences in Japan and, and trying to find out where to belong, essentially. So right. without uh, taking half an hour, because obviously I know what happened <laughs> after that, so uh, I know what's coming, but could you just tell, give the listeners a, a brief overview of, of where you've been? Maybe just start with saying how many countries you've lived in since then. <laughs> right, oh, crikey. You know, I don't even know. I know the answer to that um well let's <laughs> let's see well first of all it's great to be back mate really good to to be here thanks for having me on um i should also know i just made chris wait five minutes because i was hand grinding my coffee beans to get, <laughs> to get <my laughs> so but jumping in so uh after so the last time we spoke on this podcast i was in paris um where i was sort of i had just moved and uh 
so I, I, I think the only way I could fit this into two minutes is just to go through the timeline probably. <laughs> That's so, fine, yeah. So from Paris, I ended up going back to the US um, because I didn't have enough money <laughs> to live in Paris. Fancy that. Um, so I got a job, in, I got a financial job in corporate America, um, uh, which was just a nightmare. Uh, and so I saved up as much money as I could and made a break for it and came back to the US and moved to the Netherlands. Um, <clears throat> from the Netherlands, uh, I ended up in France looking for work. Um, and I was struggling to find a job, but I kept getting phone calls about a job in Portugal for Expedia France. Um, so I actually got hired as a French employee wow. <laughs> uh, to work for the Expedia, the French Expedia uh, customer service team. So I moved to Lisbon. From there, um, I later ended up moving to Germany, moved to Hamburg, uh, where I was working for a fashion startup <laughs> as an international PR writer. And after that, I was back in the US, um, and we're not even at 2016 yet. So it's, it's <laughs> been, uh, so, but yeah, and then after that, I've, I've been in England a couple of times, uh, living back there in my hometown, which was lovely. Um, I've lived in Barcelona twice. Uh, <laughs> I've lived in Montreal, Canada. Uh, so I've lived in, I think it's 10 countries now, perhaps. And, yeah. Uh, it's. Yeah, it's been a long, long five years of my life, mate. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's an absolutely crazy story in a way. Yeah. And I, I think people listening to this uh, might be thinking, like, what? <laughs> you know, I've been in the same place for the last three years. That's, and right. I feel pretty good about that. Um, yeah. but well, I should I've, mention that two years ago, so two years ago, I started my first company. And so that was a, that influenced things because... Uh, the beginning of this, the first half of this sort of journey, I suppose, uh, a lot of it was influenced by difficult circumstances, right? Like in Germany, I just lost my job. Yeah. Uh, because happens, they, yeah. yeah. And so, but the last two years, it's a bit of both. It's that I was working for myself. So I, I was doing translation and teaching languages online. Um, so that allowed certainly some more flexibility. But at the same, as you know, um, running your own company, can be very up and down as well, particularly sure. financially. So, but that was in, that's an important part of the story, I suppose, because um, that allowed me to work from all sorts of different countries. Yeah, and you were always you were always aiming that way, mm -hmm. weren't you? Like even, I guess back in Japan, you already had ideas about you know wanting to be a, maybe not a freelancer necessarily, but someone independent who could uh, decide maybe for himself where right. to work and, and what to work on. Yeah, well, and a lot of it sort of uh, the the feeling I had in Japan and my left Japan of just looking for a place to belong, um, that actually got a lot deeper, the sense of uh, not belonging, uh, particularly professionally. And I think this is something that a lot of people in the polyglot realm um, encounter, especially younger people, but not just them, which is, um, you know, trying to understand how do we actually exist in the world Mm -hmm. uh, and utilize the skills that we have. So the me creating my business was essentially me having enough of not fitting the mold and not, you know, I, I just couldn't, I didn't have what employers wanted. So I just got stuck in the customer service bubble. And so I said, you know what, that's it. I'm going to just make my own mold. <laughs> and, uh, that's what I did. But so how would you talk about mm -hmm. the changes between yourself and Japan? which is now quite a few years ago, 
to mm-hmm. the Robin who kind of went solo a couple of years ago, two years ago. Yeah. What changed and, and what what realizations happened for you to, because that's a big leap, you know, going from, yeah. uh, I want to work in this or that and to, oh yeah, I'll start my own language company or, you know, online company. Yeah. So I think one thing definitely, there were a couple factors. I think part of it was desperation. It's amazing what you, it's, you know, for example, I remember the, the, the last, when I, when I moved back to Europe and I went to the Netherlands looking for a job there, um, and it was a seven and a half months of just uh, sort of searching, but like desperately, like barely surviving, you know, I mean, the, it was very difficult there for me. And then I was couch surfing around Lille in the north of France, just trying to desperately find work. And my money was just running out. And then I, you know, overnight ended up in Lisbon. <laughs> and in Lisbon, I was earning like two euros an hour because they were like, oh, we're training you for six uh, weeks <laughs> or for two months and and then when i got to germany i mean it was just you know I, I i don't know if you remember us chatting at that time where like i'd gotten a job for ibm yeah in leipzig and then i quit my job bought a flight and then the job was cancelled yeah i remember that yeah. and then i was like okay so i'm going to germany with nowhere to go and no job and then i got the job in so when i got to hamburg i was I was stretched so far beyond my limits financially. Like I, I was, and then and I was just so happy <laughs> to be there. And then when that, when I lost my job and you know what I mean? It was just, I was, it was almost like just survival mode. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. And I was like, I've got to do something about this. And then, but there was also a confidence that came um, where, you know, for a lot of that period, my languages were sort of up and down. Right. Mm. But one thing that, was very special that happened when I was in Germany. And from that point throughout 2016 was actually the, something changed in my language learning Mm. drastically. And that was when I, was when I really started to become a more independent learner. I'd spent a long time trying out all these different methods and developing, I would say good methodology. But the thing is my languages are a mess. I had like nine languages, 10 languages. I probably studied 13, 14 languages, honestly, at that point. Um, yeah. But I had, about, I had about eight languages total that I had decided, okay, these are the ones I want to focus on. But they were all over the place. <laughs> and I think that, that there was a moment in Germany where I said, I've got to build a system that will allow me to actually maintain all these languages and get them up to all high levels. So when I started my company, I was starting to approach a point where I had a number of languages at very high levels. Um, and I, the reason I mentioned that is it just gave me a bit more confidence. Okay. Uh, just to sort of go out on my own and say, you know what, I've got skills, you know, I do videos. I speak a lot, several languages at very high levels. I've, I can write, I've done, I had done quite a lot of stuff. And so I think I just reached that critical mass where I said, all right, you know what, (laughs) (laughs) let's do this um yeah yeah so that was it and also i really started the the last thing i'll say is uh the tenacity that i approached language studies with that was also a moment where i shifted gears and i switched that to other things so for example i started studying business i started studying how does one conduct a business how do we deal with finances I did tons of courses on like accounting and bookkeeping. I just started to become a very self-sufficient 
businessman, which ended, I, I just, it all was connected. It made me a very self-sufficient person. Okay. So uh, the languages, the, the skills that you had built in languages over the years, over many years, mm-hmm. uh, you channeled them to as confidence basically for your, for everything you did. Right. Exactly. Because it's a funny thing, right? As a polyglot, especially like someone that really does speak a lot of languages at very high levels, people are amazed when they meet you. And I mean, people of all shapes, sizes, ages, professions. I mean, you'll meet a 55 year old guy who's an executive of whatever company and they're amazed. Yeah. But then it goes down. Like I I didn't have the comp, but, but I mentioned that because the fact is that they, those are impressive skills. And it was strange to me how they were so impressive when meeting someone on the street or in a coffee shop, but in a job interview, I had nothing to, I, did, I, did, I had nothing to offer them. Right. Yeah, that is interesting. But I think, I think that's probably because we live in a society where a piece of paper saying you did something or even you were at some point <laughs> in a university or something uh-huh. more valuable than somebody who's actually done a lot of things or has built up a lot of skills. Yeah. Um, well, and I think that's where design has become a massive part of who I am today. And the reason I mention that is because uh, design thinking and learning about all sorts of different facets of design has taught me a lot about telling a story. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the secret is that it doesn't matter how many things you've done in your life. If you're not able to sufficiently and succinctly articulate that story, then it won't matter. Um, it may not matter anyway, but at least if you... <laughs> At least if you're able to confidently and effectively say, this is who I am. And that doesn't just mean with words. That could mean your resume or that could mean your website or your podcast or your YouTube channel, whatever it is, right? Sure. Yeah, I've heard that before. Also, I think um, the key to marketing is also telling stories. I mean, every company, successful company sells, uh, rarely sells products. They sell, they sell stories. (laughs) or fantasies even right like you know when you drink coca-cola you get all the girls if if it's the if it's the (laughs) ads and if you i don't know drive a bmw you you know get to these wonderful that's what i've been doing wrong i've not been drinking coca-cola i've that's there you go well it's good to hear that you're only human Um, now i now i know why i've not why i've not succeeded (laughs) in the relationship i'm gonna start drinking coke tomorrow Coke is uh, very sugary and uh, <laughs> probably should be banned. But anyway, uh, right. yeah, telling a story is obviously important. Yeah. So you changed your methodology, or you didn't change, maybe you evolved your methodology. I don't know how much you remember of Robin in 2015 mm-hmm. when we were chatting about methodology. And I, I briefly mentioned subtitles because you brought that up mm-hmm. as, a, as, a, as, a, as a key part back then. Mm-hmm. Um, but what do you think about in general, maintaining languages because, um, well, we'll get to that in a second as well. I just want to bring up the the book as well because, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so excited, uh, man, I'm so excited. <laughs> this is like a this is like a real uh, talk show. You know, the the guys come on and they they have this uh, new thing out. You know, you, you have to you have to. Uh, but mate, this is a special thing because you and I like you've been there beside me for all this time. Like you've been one of the few people that's known about the project. Like and you've seen me just struggle, like clawing forward to the finish line. So I'm very excited to share this with you. 
Yeah, and uh, and I've just had a, a quick look, uh, like you sent it to me yesterday, and is like I said before we started recording, it's an absolutely remarkably beautiful book. Like the pictures and illustrations oh. and uh, the typesetting, you know, you'd think that it was uh, professional, or maybe it is. Maybe that is the whole mug of <laughs> Well, it was all done by me. So uh, the photographs, obviously, and the illustrations, uh, I managed a small team of people. Um, but yeah, the, all of the book layout design, the topography, um, and of course the writing was all, so it was a huge, huge undertaking. Um, yeah. And of course I'll link to, to that in the uh, show notes and the, uh, in the episode so people can check that out. It's on Amazon, I know, but, yep. um, we'll make sure to give a shout out uh, in the beginning and everything and put it yeah. all over the internet so people can check it out. Yeah. But I want to just take a step back and talk about, because the book is called um, Language Maintenance or How to Maintain Languages. Yeah. Um, were you, when we spoke in 2015, yeah. did you consider maintenance as important as you do today? Um, certainly not when we last spoke. So we spoke at the very beginning of 2015 and it was probably October or November that year when I was living in Hamburg um, when it, it started to click, but even then I didn't fully understand exactly what I was doing. Um, right. but that was when I, I, uh, because when we last spoke, you know, I was, my French was really coming along and, uh, I had Japanese, but yeah, all those other languages were sort of all over the place. And I was focused very much on learning languages. Right. And I think that is certainly what is focused on by and large in our community. And which makes sense, right? Because people want to learn languages. But the, yeah. I think that something that is really underrepresented, <clears throat> honestly, um, is the, the importance and the value of maintaining those languages. And especially if you want to speak several languages yeah. at higher levels. And there, you ca it can't be done unless you have a system in place that will help you to sort of maintain the languages that you've already learned while you start learning new ones. Right. That's um, the other thing. Like how do you balance, balance those activities? You right. Know, that, that makes sense. Yeah. And one thing I've learned in recent times and especially now through this new YouTube series I'm doing where I'm sort of basically documenting myself, um, reactivating languages that have gotten rusty over the process and maintaining everything is that it's not just about maintaining a language after you've already learned it. It's extremely important to understand language maintenance while you're learning. Uh -huh. Because if you learn the right way, then you can do things that will set you up for A, maintaining that language more easily later, and actually more importantly, reactivating the language if it ever gets rusty. Right. Can you give an example of uh, maybe uh, an activity or a an idea that would help, let's say any, anyone listen to this, who's yeah. learning, like, I don't know, Spanish or French or something that they want to maybe implement a quick tip about, about that. Just to put it in. Absolutely. I'll give you as many as you want. You just uh, <laughs> I really want, I want people to come away from this episode feeling like they really, you know, got something out of it. So I'm happy to share. Um, so one thing that I do that it's funny because it's so basic but it's been so helpful is I track all of my activities. So I develop these tracking sheets for every language I study. Mm -hmm. And essentially what I do is I write down everything 
all the activities. So let's say I'm doing a some kind of course, right? Whatever it could be, Asimil or Babel or who knows what, whatever your preference. I'll write down numbers for all the chapters of that course, right? If I'm studying song lyrics, I'll write down the songs. If I'm studying, a, if I'm reading a book, I'll write down the chapters. Okay. Now it sounds so simple, just track your activity. But the reason why it's so important is it goes hand in hand with another concept that I talk about a lot which is building your own content library, content catalog. So what happens is if you actually track everything you do, so you've, you've studied Asimil, for example, you've gone through that, you've gone through a few graded readers, a few songs, whatever, then this activity, this tracking sheet becomes like an index for everything you've ever done in that language, which is very important because think about the opposite scenario. Which is, it's, it could be effective to just study left and right. You know, you're going through this, you're doing some extensive reading, you're reading a novel, you're, you know, you're all over the place, just picking up knowledge from every angle. Yeah. It could be helpful. However, how in the world are you going to have any clue what you've actually studied, what you know? Mm. So yeah. if you then later, your language gets rusty, what, what do you have? Where do you start, right? You're basically starting from scratch. Whereas if you study the way that I do, uh, and it's happening right now. You can literally watch it on my YouTube channel in real time where I'm now revi I'm revitalizing or reactivating my German, my Portuguese. I have these beautiful tracking sheets and I can see every activity I ever did mm. in German. And so I go back to an, an episode of Easy German that I listened to and I studied left and right, ripped it apart, <laughs> took every word <laughs> phrase. So when I listen to that episode again and I look at my old notes, the words just mm. come they come flooding back to me. So Interesting. Interesting. that is a very important element, I think, of studying a language is you have to think about the future. Uh, it's not just about now. And that's the same as everything in life, right? I mean, it's always, it's never a good idea to just do stuff without thinking at all about how that will impact you or other people in the future. Um, but like many things in life, it's something that's not done a lot. But I, I promise everyone listening to this, um, <laughs> it will benefit you to, to think about this while you're learning a language, not just after and you're trying to maintain it. Right. And there's also some things about uh, for motivation wise, you know, if you track the things you do, you can clearly see your progress. Absolutely. You don't and you don't really know where you're at. Uh, yeah. Well, let's take a to-do list. Why are to-do lists helpful, right? The, the, big, the biggest reason why to-do lists are great because they're very motivating. It feels great to tick things off yeah, the list. Exactly. And momentum is everything, right? And I, I just, I'm such a believer in the power of momentum. Um, and so with the tracking sheets, every, what I do is I highlight them in yellow. So I'll highlight, I, I, I make them on squared paper. Yeah. And so then I'll highlight a box. And so... Every time I highlight a box, it feels wonderful. It feels just like a to-do list, right? <laughs> yeah. And I actually have photographs of my tracking sheets from 2016, 2017. And I would take photographs every week or two just so I could see my progress and I could look mm. back. And here's one other great thing. I'm glad you brought that up. I actually, in my book, I talk about um, becoming a language project manager, right? Right. <laughs> if you want to maintain lots of languages. And the reason I say that is a, pro is a project manager sort of has to be, has to be able to put their attention on various different aspects of a project mm. while still keeping their eye on the goal and the, on the overall. So in this context, language learning is just your overall project, right? You want to learn languages but you've got to be able to devote time, energy, and attention to each individual language. Yeah. 
without forgetting. You can't just focus on one and then totally forget about everything else. That wouldn't be a very good project and it wouldn't be very good for your languages either. Right. That's a so big struggle though. I mean, that's an, a whole other debate. It is. Like how but here to... is what's wonderful about the tracking sheets is that now you have a visual, right? So what do people do in meetings? What do, what do executives like? They like to just see visuals. They want to see a snapshot. Well, <laughs> graphs. When, yeah. Well, when you've got, let's say you've got five languages and you've got five tracking sheets. Well, at any moment, you could just lay all those tracking sheets out on a small desk and you could see in a split second, exactly where you are with each language, exactly mm. what you've done, exactly what you've got left to do. What's next? Uh, yeah. And so again, it seems so basic, but I've got to say it's, it is, it's been instrumental for me. Well, I haven't heard of many people doing it. So, well, I mean, it's, I have heard of people doing it, but it's definitely not super commonplace. I think a lot of Yeah, people... I haven't heard it talked about much at all. No, uh, not in a sort of a disgusting way. I know that Kirsten... Uh, mm -hmm. show uh, mm -hmm. podcast she definitely does a similar thing where she tracks things on actual paper there's probably some yeah uh, hand to brain benefits as well of that mm -hmm. um, but i think it comes back to these things about language learning it's always it seems simple right but mm -hmm. at the end of the day they can be super valuable if you actually implement them and yeah. of course the success of each individual is going to depend a lot of of implementing things like this, you know, this is one element, but it's something that if people actually did would be mm -hmm. super beneficial. Um, right. so, so I definitely see the, the power of, of tracking. Um, mm -hmm. how do you think the, in terms of how's the strategy different? Let's say I'm learning French. I've been doing it for a while. I'm sort of lower beginner, no lower intermediate uh, of a beginner. Mm -hmm. um, that's not actually true for me, but I'm spending. <laughs> And yeah. I'm worried that I'm forgetting things because I live in, I don't know, uh, Tennessee and, you know, the chances to speak French, even though it was, uh, I guess, a once uh, <laughs> big flip from big flip down there. Uh, there yeah. isn't a lot of French going on and I haven't been to France in years and my, I'm worried that my French is slipping. So with just one language, is it is it much different to you than, let's say, polygon advice where people have maybe three, four, five more languages to juggle and, and maintain it, it is different but um what it's it, what i believe is that the, the biggest shift is when you start studying two okay foreign languages i find that studying six languages versus five five versus four of course there's always it's more difficult but the yeah. biggest shift is when you suddenly start maintaining multiple languages because now you've got to manage your time on two different levels you've got to manage um, because let's say you devote 10 hours a week to French, just as an example. Mm -hmm. Well, now you've got to figure out what will I do in those 10 hours, all right? So you've got to manage that time and divide it between different things like reading and speaking or whatever. Yeah. But you've also now got to manage, let's say you've got 15 hours per week on languages. Well, now what do you do with the other five and et cetera? So it, it is different, but the difference is primarily in the way you organize your time and your studies. I think that for aspiring polyglots, it is especially important to have some sort of system that is effective because if you're studying one language, um, the activities you do, I think are going to be the same. It's just that you have more flexibility. It's okay. You just kind of come back to it. I still think you should really pay attention to what you're doing, but when you're maintaining several as a polyglot, as you probably know, it's so easy for it to get out of hand. And I, I think both of us have probably met, 
hundreds, maybe hundreds and hundreds of aspiring polyglots on my YouTube channel. I get so many comments from people who have studied 10, 11, 12 languages or six. Yeah. They, but the same thing, they just jump around and it's a shame because you, you, you can get to a place where you have spent years yeah. and, and countless hours on a number of languages. But if you're not careful, it can get to a point where it's, it overwhelms you. And it's sort of, so I, it's a shame. I really want to help people just be more knowledgeable and more intentional about the yeah. way they learn languages. Because I, I want to see people succeed. I think we've got a lot of aspiring yeah, polyglots. But why do we have so few? I don't know, actually. I, I don't know. I know there are a lot of people listening to this show who are very good at languages. They've done mm-hmm. a lot of learning. They're, they speak multiple languages. Um, but I, I'm sort of beginning to wonder if that's a very small group. <laughs> well, you see, think, and this is what's interesting, I'm right? I'm beginning to think that the people who listen to this program or uh, your, watch your YouTube videos that get the most out of it are probably the people who are learning one language, one extra language, you know, for a very specific reason. Mm-hmm. They, they're not trying to become polygods. Of course, some of them might end up that way anyway. But, you know, if you have like the, the German grandparents or the, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, one of my friends just married a woman from Russia. You know, if, if he learns the language he's going to be better <laughs> better standing with the in-laws but also better <laughs> right marriage, you know um those people i think are the ones that could benefit the most from from some of this advice so it's a funny duality there because obviously there if you already speak a co- couple of languages mm-hmm. you, maybe you just need guidance or a little bit of help or a little bit of let's say sh- a little bit pushing in the right direction, so to speak. Um, right. Motivation is always useful, but I'm beginning to to wonder a little bit how big those two groups are. Actually, I don't know. If you well, know, let, me, let me let me counter you a little bit. If, uh, <laughs> get a sure. bit I mean, that's, that's why that's why we're here. Yeah. Hey guys, I just wanted to take a quick break here and give a shout out to the sponsor of today's show, which is Glossica. Glossica have been extremely supportive of the Actual Fluency podcast and website over the years, and I really thankful and grateful that they wanted to come on board for this kind of re-release of the podcast this uh, new era and you know what is Glossica well essentially it's kind of like a spaced repetition system but with audio-based sentences so you have listening practice you have speaking practice and every day you can do reps so you log on to the Glossica site and the software using some fancy AI technology actually places you on your skill level and suggests sentences and content that are appropriate. And what I really like is you can log on to Glossica and just press a button and it will do all the reps you need for that day. Um, this is in contrast to other websites where you have to constantly click or type or, and you know, there's merit to that, but I really like Glossica's approach as well. Um, so if you want to get started with Glossica, check it out at actualfluency.com forward slash Glossica. Yeah, so well, I'll say two things. First of all, I do think you're right that, so uh, there's, a, there's, there's a reason that, so my book is 11 chapters long and the first, I think nine or 10 of them are actually not, they're just about maintaining languages. They're for everybody. Mm-hmm. There's only one chapter, which is, uh, well, there, there are two chapters really that are very specific to polyglots. But there's a reason for that. It's because the, the fundamental core principles are the same for everybody. Sure. There is definitely. Um, um, however, what I would say is that I personally 
if, let's say that there are 10,000 people, just as an example number, there are, let's say they're all aspiring polyglots, right? I would say a lot of them are good at learning languages. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people that watch my YouTube channel, that listen to your podcast, a lot of people that go to the conferences who are good language learners. They're good at learning a language, mm -hmm. but how many of them actually have succeeded in their goal of speaking a lot of languages well. It's a much, much, yeah. much. Sorry, well, I let me, let me, let me counter you a little bit of a, <laughs> a, bit of a debate going sure. on. I mean, that's, that's, why, that's why we're here, yeah. Yeah, so well, I'll say two things. First of all, I do think you're right that, so uh, there's, a, there's, there's a reason that, so my book is 11 chapters long, and the first, I think, nine or 10 of them are actually not, they're just about maintaining languages. They're for everybody. There's only one <laughs> chapter, which is, uh, well, there are two chapters, really, that are very specific to polyglots. But there's a reason for that. It's because the, the fundamental core principles are the same for everybody. There is... Sure, um, definitely. Um, however, what I would say is that I personally... If, let's say that there are 10,000 people, just as an example number, that are, let's say they're all aspiring polyglots, right? I would say a lot of them are good at learning languages. There are a lot of people that watch my YouTube channel, that listen to your podcast, a lot of people that go to the conferences who are good language learners. They're good at learning a language. But mm -hmm. how many of them actually have succeeded in their goal of speaking a lot of languages well? It's a much, much, much... And yeah. I think this is the reason. This is why I'm just so incredibly passionate about this topic is, and, is that, to me, this is the key to changing that situation so that we don't just have lots of people who are great at getting from beginner to intermediate and maybe even intermediate to advanced, but then they can only speak two languages or one language because they've got nine languages that are sort of on the back burner. How do we yeah. get that to, let's educate people and really help those people. Let's stop this sort of epidemic of language hopping aimlessly. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm serious, right? Because, I, and I think that, the problem is it's, it's places like YouTube. It's places like YouTube um, sure. because a lot of the successful polyglots, that, and I, I certainly don't want to like bash on anybody. I will say I've noticed in recent years that the, we've shifted gears and a lot of people are now adding languages left and right. Mm. And, they, and so I think it makes, it makes people in the audience want to do the same thing and they want to speak nine, 10 languages as well but we're not talking enough about like, whoa, 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 that's, that's okay, but let's do it the right way. So like I said, we just, all we do is talk about how to learn languages. And that's why we have a lot of people who are good at learning languages. Yeah. But what about the rest of it? Yeah, but that's typical of any, uh, any business in the world, I think, or any niche, because there's always going to be most of the beginners right. and it, you can't maintain something that you haven't done, <laughs> you know? I agree. Um, so in terms of pure uh, reachability and, and market size, then you've got way, way, way more beginner content. That's also why a lot of the courses, a lot of the programs stop at something like A2, mm -hmm. B1 sometimes because they just know, well, yeah, clearly there are B1 plus students in the world, right. but they make up such a small percentage that, we're just going to push the beginner content. Yeah, um, I, I hear you on that. But, and, but this is just to say that, so that, that's why I think this could be useful for a lot of those people that aren't beginners, where there's not content yeah. that's serving them, right? Um, 
And so, and one thing I'll tell you, I think the thing that separates me more than anything, like if I had to say like, okay, what's different about my story? Because there, there are other people that speak more languages than me, better than me, right? <clears throat> the bit, I think the most unique thing about my story is just the sheer speed that I, that mm. I did it. And I, when I say did it, I mean, learning, <clears throat> yeah, it's how quickly I went from I went I I learned a like eight languages in total, but also to high levels. So there are people that speak many more languages than me, um, and many more to high levels who've been doing it for 10, 20, 30 years. Yeah. And there are people that learn more languages than me in a shorter time, but but to like an A two. So it's like twenty four sure. languages a day. But again, the the I'm not saying no one else did it, but the thing that was most unique about my story was that in a very short time. I went from speaking just a couple of languages to speaking eight all to some degree yeah. fluently. And the, the biggest key to that was that was in Germany when I figured out that I had to figure make a system where I could maintain and right. learn concurrently. Yeah. That, that's always impressed, uh, impressed me about you, you know, from, from we started talking the, your level in, I, I think particularly French was ridiculous. Uh, like how you did that in like a year or something like that going from, yeah. Go from, I don't know how, how good you went before that year, but basically getting a job as a French speaker at the end, I think. Yeah, I mean, it was crazy, man. I was interpreting it. in French. I was doing French translation, working a French customer service job. And I think at that time I'd been learning French for like two years in total. Yeah, it, um, it's completely insane. And, and that's obviously why we love to have you here on the podcast because whatever it is you're doing, you do. But the funny <laughs> thing is, well. I mean, German was, I mean, I would say with German, I was in Portugal right um in portugal working a full-time job in french and then i decided i was moving to germany and in six weeks i mean that was the most i'd ever pushed the limits but in six yeah. weeks i was speaking at least to a basic level of fluent german and arrived in germany did everything in german and and it was just <clears throat> i just kept yeah. pushing the limits but but what is it that makes you like it, it almost seems like an obsession. You know, we, we talked about that a little bit before in the previous one, of the previous episode, we talked about how you in Japan would go on these like 12 hour study binges almost. Uh, we, t we talked about, it might've been a little bit of a, um, what did we talk about? Like it's a, it's not a reflection, but it's a, it, maybe it's a distraction really about back then. Mm -hmm. But what do you think is fueling like your, your current projects? Because you obviously, extremely uh, driven and focused on whatever it is you're doing whether it's learning german or mm -hmm. you know learning how to program or writing a book even you know you did that really fast as well mm -hmm. so so what do you think where does that come from do you think about that at all or is it just inherent no, i do and, and honestly this is why i i don't want people to to do what i did i don't, I don't actually recommend that people <clears throat> um try to do what i did because I had a situation where I've spent a, sh a shocking amount of time alone, right? Um, yeah. <clears throat> which was not wanted. I didn't want that. So in this case, like I was in Japan in Kyoto and there were about five months where I basically just was alone every day, all day, unless I was in class or uh, working. <clears throat> and so for me, my love of languages and learning languages was a, a way for me to turn that negative situation into something constructive and positive so mm -hmm. i always wanted out of it i didn't want to be in that um, <laughs> i truly right. didn't it's just that again i got into this position where 
I didn't really belong anywhere in the world anymore. I mean, I, I literally, when I left uh, Montreal and Helsinki last year, <clears throat> I said, Oh, you forgot Helsinki. <laughs> I did. Yeah. I moved to Helsinki. Um, <laughs> I remember I was back in England and I just like, I had nowhere to go. I mean, I, I mean, yeah. And so when I moved to Barcelona for the second time, <clears throat> people would ask me, why are you here? Like, why do you live in Barcelona? <laughs> and I'd say the short answer is there is absolutely no reason at all. <clears throat> yeah. It was literally because I just had nowhere else to go at that point. There was no reason to go anywhere in the world. There was nothing. Right. So I bring all that up because that's the only way I've been able to do this is because I've had, I haven't had a social life. Um, you know, you and I, you're one of my closest mates, honestly, and I've, we've never met. Right. That's, that's true. Yeah. I, you know, so yeah. if you, we were close many times. Yeah. But uh... it's like a, getting to be like a game show, like where will Chris and Robin <laughs> finally meet? Yeah. So, all that to say that, yeah, there's no question that the only reason why I was able to do these things so quickly was because of a very unique situation. Um, yeah. So I don't, what I'm not trying to necessarily tell people, hey, learn German in six weeks because that's insane. Right. But how do you, how do you avoid, uh, how do you avoid that coming across? Because you, it's obviously quite an achievement and it's quite a, you know, it speaks for the method and, and your ability to implement that method. But at the same time, I'm not sure it'd be particularly beneficial for a potential German learner to know that, you did it in six weeks with this and this method. So how do you... Well, I, I think you, it is because yeah. I, what's important is knowing what's possible. Because when you know that something, when you, when you suddenly understand like what's possible, it makes everything mm. less than that seem more attainable. <clears throat> so, right. But you're not worried that people are going to say, oh yeah, Robin can do this because he's like a, a language learning genius, but I'm just, you know, Bob in Tennessee. Right. I, I, there's no way I could ever learn. I might as well just well, and that's the, that's the nice thing about my story is that although it's unfortunate, I'm actually glad is that, you know, I was <laughs> terrible at languages growing up, terrible, terrible, <laughs> awful. And I was, I struggled in school all around. Right. So it's hard for people to make the argument that I just have a, a natural gift because if anyone listening to this show passed a language class in school, then you're ahead of where I was. <laughs> <laughs> Because yeah. I couldn't pass French to save my life. Um, and my teachers told me I would never speak a foreign language ever. I could not be bothered with French <laughs> in high school. I mean, no, in even, my, I mean even my dad yes. told me one day that I'd never go to university. And he wasn't trying to be mean. He was trying to comfort me and say, it's okay. Because no one thought I was clever. Right? Mm. So it's not that. It's just um, I've put an enormous amount of work into it. And I've developed some very effective methods. But like I say. But were you trying to <laughs> prove everyone? Wrong or... No, no, no. I just loved it. I truly just loved it. And like I said, I, I honestly believed it would help me in my career, my life. And I, I felt like, well, you know what? I've got a lot of time alone right now. And how, how great would it be if I could speak whatever, seven, eight, whatever. It doesn't The number didn't matter. It was more like I wanted to speak Swedish, but I also wanted to speak Japanese. I wanted to speak French. So I was like, yeah. how good would it be if I could achieve that by the time I'm 26 or whatever, and then the rest of my life, I can enjoy those. Like I knew one day, I still believe one day I'll have a social life. I believe one day I'll actually. <laughs> so when that day comes, uh, I've already done so much of the work. Right? But yeah. what I really want to stress again is like, it, you know, Swedish is a wonderful example. I don't even remember when I made a video in Swedish where. Yeah, it did. Yeah, you're walking around the forest. Yeah, and the whole point of that video was to prove that you can actually learn to speak a language so like to some degree of fluency 
without even ever having a chance to talk to somebody uh, if you have good right. resources. Now, again, that project was really just about showing what's possible because a lot of people were being discouraged because a lot of learners and, and, and YouTubers always talk about speaking and how important speaking is. So it makes people feel like, well, if I don't have an opportunity to speak to somebody, I can't learn a language. So I wanted to, I'm not telling everybody, hey, become fluent in a language without speaking. I'm just showing people, well, this is what's possible. So if yeah. I can learn a language fluently without even talking to a human being, um, then <laughs> you can certainly achieve it as well if you have uh, even moderate yeah. exposure. So I, I, in my book, I actually, I do an exercise where I take three scenarios. I take like a full-time student, a full-time ad working adult, and even a full-time working parent. And I go through the whole week and try to look at all the, t all the places they could find dead time. And I end mm. up finding like four hours a day, you know, dead time. And, but yeah. then I say, I'm not asking you to spend four hours a day. I'm just trying to show you if it's possible to find those four hours, then it should be easy to just make 30 minutes. Right. And in my opinion, 30 minutes to an hour is more than enough to comfortably maintain your language and enjoy the process. Yeah. I think I read somewhere that the average American watches, was it four hours of TV a day? <laughs> Something, something like that, yeah. And honestly, mate, I've I've been having a so, great time on my so on my YouTube channel. What I did is I designed this dead time planner, and originally it was going to be for people that bought the book, but I decided to just give it for free. So if you want, we can put that in the show notes. It's free. Um, yeah, I'll uh, include that. Uh, do you want to just give the name of your YouTube channel so people can? can find yeah, it's you? Kuma Brand. That's my that's the name of my new company. I'm such a bad PR person. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, what, we're like 45 minutes in i'm only just now saying the name of my company um yeah well we'll put it we can edit it in before you know we can put some <laughs> yeah little hints so it's kuma brand so youtube.com forward you know slash kuma brand and um and yeah so i've i've actually been giving out this dead time planner because i want more people to have uh, access to this stuff so they can actually look at their schedule and try to actually figure out where are all the places they have dead time and it's really, it's quite, um, quite a revelation when you realize like, wow, I have a lot of time. <laughs> um, and may a lot of my language learning happens in my dead time, honestly, like I'm, yeah. I'm not, I'm, I'm not kidding. Like my, I relish doing the dishes now. <laughs> I, I, look, I look forward to ironing my clothes, you know, because those like those moments, I mean, uh, cycling to cycling to work or to a coffee shop, those are all moments that I enjoy just as much as any other yeah. moment because I'm learning my languages when I do that. Right. So how do you balance learning new things and, and uh, maintaining old things? Because, well, let's give an example. I have, so the languages that I have are, my German is really good. I yeah. uh, would love to get it better, mm -hmm. but that's, that's, let's ignore that for a second mm -hmm. so i got russian that's sort of intermediate low intermediate maybe mm -hmm. and i've got i want to learn new languages as well mm -hmm. um so where and how do you recommend that i go about deciding this kind of yeah uh learning plan uh, you know you don't have to go into uh, you know for all the steps but what are some mm -hmm. of the pitfalls maybe that I could fall into yeah. let's say i had three languages maybe two solid ones and one that I want to learn and I want to balance out what kind of advice would you give me? Oh yeah, mate. Actually, I'm really, I'm really excited to answer this. Cause like, I, I don't know, I'm just <laughs> like, I'm so enthusiastic about this topic. So 
practical practical no, you know? i love it i love it and that's why even now my youtube channel i'm making a huge effort to i'm tr to just give everything i'm just sharing as much as i can and it it feels nice to just share right i'm not like hey i'm gonna give you a teeny tip and then you have to buy my book no let's just do it right now let's just give you the whole thing so <laughs> no i like the other way better give uh, 99 98 away and yeah then, you know a small section of paper exactly so let me tell you a quick story that is going to answer your question so one of the biggest things that I learned when I was back in Germany in Hamburg doing this job was I thought to myself, okay, so I made a priority list, which is another important step. So I had a list of my languages and I had them sort of, you know, they were prioritized and you can do that by, to me, it's not just about which one do I want to, do I want to learn the most? It could be based on, uh, do you have a need for this one? And this one's more of a hobby. It could even, it could be based on anything, but the key okay. is to be flexible, right? So I had Italian, like, halfway down the list but then I ended up meeting like 10 Italian people in the space of two weeks like, I realized that half of the people that worked at the cafes I was going to were Italian like, <laughs> so I moved Italian up the list it was logical right so but one thing I did was I was like well, I'm working a full-time job like many people I've got all these languages and I started mapping my my languages and activities not to like a time of the day this is a pitfall in my opinion, people, they, they have this, they gravitate towards making a schedule like, okay, well, I'll learn mm. German from nine to 10 and oh, yeah, not a good idea <clears throat> because once the day starts, it is the wild, wild west and like anything can happen, right? <clears throat> That's true, yeah. What I think is much better is map your languages um, and your activities to specific changes in your day. Anchor them to things that you know are going to happen. Mm. Example. Um, you might leave for work at different times of the day, but you are going to leave for work. Yeah. Right. You might take your lunch break uh, at one o'clock or at 12 o'clock, but you are going to take it well, for the most part. Right. So, so what that. I do is I don't, I don't say, well, I'll study German from 10 to 11 and I'll do this for, because then what happens is somebody's sick at work and I have to work an extra shift or God knows what next thing you know, nothing gets done. Yeah. That's but true, in yeah. Germany, I said to myself, well, you know what? I'll wake up really early, which to be honest, there's no question waking up early is one of the best ways to make time for your languages. And I know that right. some people are not a fan of that, but the fact is it's, it's time that's like, that's free for a lot of people. Like, uh, after eight o'clock, anything can happen, but five o'clock, yeah. no one is, no one's calling me. That's right? true. No one's, so, but anyway, so I would say to myself, all right, so I'll get up really early and I'll do, you know, I'll do, I'll study German, you know, from like five thirty till, till seven. That seems nice. And then I'll cycle to work and I'll listen to, you know, my French podcast. And then I was like at work with dead time, my lunch break, whatever, I'll focus on Swedish. I decided at the time. And then after work every day, I would always go to a coffee shop for an hour and I do my Italian. And like, the point is that these are, it didn't matter when they happened. They always happened every day. And then I would always yeah. read a French novel before bed for an hour. So already I a whole one. <laughs> yeah, ma'am. No, I am. You're for the you're record, I am the slowest reader in the world. I, I might actually right. be the slow. <laughs> so bad. <clears throat> but do you see what I'm saying? I so right there. I was like, I had a system in place where I was doing four or five languages every day, and with no problem. I didn't have any problem right. every day. But do you do you do it sequentially then? Like, if you have five, let's say you want to insert five languages and you have five dead time slots, do you just do it language one, language two, language three, or, or how would you do it? 
I know these are like practical questions. They probably don't matter as much. No, it's okay. Well, what I tend to do is I always build it in. I start slow and very quickly it happens naturally. So on my YouTube series right now, I'm starting with Portuguese and German. Right, but did you know if you have, let's say you have five slots a day and you have five languages you're learning, do you do one slot per language or you might skip I try to think about it more logically. So I say to myself, okay, so we've got different types of skills, right? We've got active and passive skills. So we've got our speaking and our writing for active, and we've got listening and reading for passive. And then, so I, I need to make sure I stay balanced, right? Because that's the other thing. I actually, in all my languages, now they're rusty, right? Some of them are rusty, but yeah. especially at the end of 2016, like I could read, write, speak everything in all of them, right? So I want to maintain a balanced skill set. So I'll look at that and say, what are my strengths? What am, if my German, I'm pretty good. Like I'm pretty strong um, with reading and I'm at a high level, but my Portuguese, for example, let's say I'm not even, I can't even read yet. I'm too, uh, well, it makes, I'll spend the dead time slots that I can read in. I'll spend those on German. And then, so perhaps uh, I'll spend, okay. if I'm riding a bike where I can't read, then I'll spend that on yeah. Portuguese, right? So I look at, ah, I see this. Yeah, yeah, so I actually look and say, and that's the reason why the first step I do, the first step is my dead time. I have my dead time planner, and I, so I can see all the time that's available to me, and then I, I yeah. plan when I think I can study, you know, actually sit down and study. Then I look at my languages, look at what I actually need to do, and then I map it to my dead time planner. And if there's a conflict, because you might say, well, what, if, what happens if you've got five languages and you've got to read in all of them? I rotate. I yeah. do rotate. I actually developed something. I don't know if it exists or not, but it's, I call it the three-tier prioritized rotation system. <clears throat> okay. It's very short. you know. Um, but what I do yeah. is I create three different tiers of priorities. So I had a student once, and he was like, well, <clears throat> here's the deal. I'm learning Japanese. That's my utmost priority. I've got to do that every day. I just, I'm not willing to compromise. I need to learn Japanese. But he's yeah. like, but I also want to maintain my French and my Spanish. That's really important to me. But I also am learning jazz piano. I do rock climbing. And he's like, and I play billiards. He's like, and so what I did, I, t- I told him, well, we've got three clear priorities. Japanese, number one, <clears throat> right? So let's do that daily. Tier, tier yeah. two is a fixed rotation. So you can define it however you want, but it's a fixed rotation. So I said to him, well, French and Spanish are obviously your second priorities. So let's do three days French, three days Spanish, three days French. Uh-huh. It's a fixed rotation. We tested out different intervals. We found that three days was excellent. <clears throat> okay. Because he would rotate fast enough to still, he would see both languages every week. But if you do like day by, one day, one day, one day, one day, you can't get anything done. In three right. days, you can make significant progress with something. And then tier three is sort of whenever you can. <clears throat> yeah. So I just told him, whenever you can, uh, play billiards. Whenever you can, go rock climbing. And we tested it. And we found he still, he still made several hours every week for billiards and rock climbing. But he also... This sounds almost like, uh, <laughs> this sounds almost like uh, life advice in no, a way. Is. You can maybe adapt this to well, other things. Thing. Like say, you have certain priorities... And languages could be one of them, but you might have, yeah, you might have kids. They should be a priority, I suppose. Well, that's it. That yeah. is it. And that's the thing. Like, I, and I, I, and I make a huge point in my book and I'm trying to do, I want to do it in all my public speaking and everything I do. I want to try to make a point of let's give practical advice. that's actually realistic is that it would be yeah. easy for me to write a book about how you can maintain languages if you have nothing to do all day, every day. <laughs> 
but yeah. how do we actually do it? And so one of the best compliments I've gotten so far on the book is that somebody told me that like, I'm going to apply this to everything else in my life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, but we've, we've talked about that before, like not this particular method, yeah. but we've talked about how language learning mirrors life in a way. And if you can master language learning, then you should have no problem mastering anything. Really. Exactly. And, and that's why let's, let's face So I've got all my languages now, but I also in the last eight months learned to develop websites and design them and do front end, you know, full stack, you know, programming and stuff. So, and that hasn't, that's, I'm doing that concurrently with my languages and it's, yeah. and I love it. So it's, I love, I'm again, I don't know if someone else has done, they probably, it's probably been done, but my three tier <laughs> prioritized yeah. rotation system is the whole reason I built that was like, let's give people a way to do their languages and actually still have other interests. Mm. well um yeah so if people are interested in the book and the other things we mentioned like the youtube channel i'll put uh, some links in the show notes so that's actualfluency.com forward slash 117 episode 117 and uh, before we round up today i just wanted to ask you obviously this book has been a, a major uh, piece of work for you uh, what do you what's next for kuma brand in terms of language learning what can aspiring polyglots or, or language enthusiasts out there expect from from your your company going forward i'm trying to think should i should i share some some secrets with you <laughs> um <laughs> well it's just me and twenty thousand other people listening right. you know it's just a little family you know but no you can you can oh, i think yeah. you can tease it in a way that doesn't give it away but maybe right uh, that's the thing is i want to share everything i'm always like i just i just love sharing everything i've got um, right. Well, the big. By the way, I didn't know anything before I asked that question. Right. It's not like you told me in a Facebook message, yeah. and I was, you know, trying to hype it up. I literally had no idea. Yeah, no, there are some there are some huge things coming. So basically, what's that, I've spent the last as you as so I guess your listeners might not know this, but I took an eight month hiatus where I was gone from YouTube, from social media, and most of my friendships. I have a lot of people to write emails to. <clears throat> um, right. And a lot of what I was doing was not just writing the book and like learning to program and stuff. It was developing a strategy for like going forward. So um, the big thing right now immediately is YouTube content and blog content. So I've actually, I just like 10 seconds before this, <laughs> before this interview, I <laughs> uploaded my 20th video from the last month. I mean, so I'm producing a ton right. of content. Um, and I really do believe I'm, I'm trying my best to share like as much as I can. To be honest with you, like uh, I don't even like if people can buy the book, great. If they can't, you, I'm sharing just about everything over time on my channel. Sure. So, but I also have. Um, so the the company is focused on design and technology. So, um, as a designer, like I'm really trying to focus on how can we. That's for the book, right? The book you said it before the show. Like it, how is it different than other stuff that's coming out in the language learning space? <laughs> It's, it's the design, right? It's the, it's, yeah, it's the true, seven yeah. months went into designing the, <laughs> the thing. So, yeah, so many pictures. So yeah. I'm coming out. I'll tell you some secrets that no one else knows yet. So this is for you and all of your audience. Um, even my YouTube <laughs> fans don't know this yet. <laughs> so I've got a series of guides coming out. Um, now, these are like language learning guides, but they're, on, they're very specific. So they're actually, they're on very specific topics such as how to read difficult content in a language. How do we tackle difficult stuff? Because okay. I have a perspective that a lot of people say you can't read uh, a book, for example, or content unless you understand 95% of it. You'll be too hard if you try to do intensive reading. Yeah. I disagree, right? And as you know, 
I read novels and very difficult stuff, even from being like a high beginner. So I'm going to yeah. write a lot of these really short guides and I'm going to be doing free versions of those. And they're not, it's not a free chapter where it's like, here's a free chapter and then buy it. No, I'm going to try to actually make a free guide. Uh, it'll just be shorter. And then be along. Yeah. But also, I've got. I'm, mate, I'm so excited. I've got a. Uh, I've got a line <laughs> of notebooks coming out for that are for language learning. They're actually function. They're not just thematically. They're functionally for language learning. So they've got. Are you gonna get them printed with your planning squares and? Oh, mate, uh, I've got some exciting. There's some exciting stuff in there. <laughs> but the point is that they're actually for language learners. Uh, we're just. I've, I'm designing some really nice uh, other stuff, but. Again, that might not be as, uh, I, there's just a lot. But the other thing is that's really exciting is I'm actually developing tools. I'm developing applications. For right, software. Yeah. Apps, and that's stuff, one of the things I'm so excited about. I have, I, and I'm really taking this seriously. Um, and I'm going to be actually sharing that with my community. Because here's the thing I would love, I would love for people to take away from this episode about me if possible is that I truly am I'm exploring all the ways I can like how can I do my part to like have a positive impact in the community I don't want to drive any sort of negativity or competitiveness or I want I really want to see like how can we really build this community um, and, and sort of particularly the community aspect of it right and yeah. so I'm trying my best to develop tools they're all free Right, so this is like the, the applications and technology I develop is free and uh, I want it to be accessible. And so I've got several projects uh, I'm really, really excited about, but uh, <laughs> I really hope will will be useful to people. Um, so where's the best way for people to stay updated on these new projects or updates? Is that your YouTube or website? Yeah, maybe? so currently the YouTube channel uh, is a great place and my new website, which I, again, I'm super excited. Like, like I just, I designed it myself. I <laughs> did all the front end and back end development. I'm super excited. So the website is also a cool place to stay up to date. Um, right now it's very simple, but that's deliberate. I wanted to produce an MVP a minimum bottle product. Yeah. And so right now there's no blog on there. It's just the basic information in the shop, but I'm going to be, the, the website is going to be transforming over time. Does it have a URL or? Yeah. So it's uh, kumabrand.com. So K-U-M-A okay. brand.com. I figured. But the YouTube figured. channel really is a, a great place just to stay up to date because I'm releasing videos a lot there. Yeah, what I really like about the YouTube channel is you're doing what I have been encouraging a lot of people to do in the last three or four years. Mm -hmm. I've always said it would be really nice if someone made some good uh, documentation of a day-to-day -day language learning, mm -hmm. um, like really show the nitty-gritty and, and do it almost as a daily mm -hmm. vlog, ideally. Yeah. Uh, so that's extremely exciting, I think, to to finally show a more holistic picture of what it yeah. takes to learn. Oh, and I, uh, I haven't even mentioned, but like I'll be super fast. But the biggest theme right now, honestly, my my biggest theme is honesty and transparency. Truly. Right. So I made I made a video about how bad my German is, right, and how bad my Portuguese right. is, and I basically sat there. I hadn't spoken German or Portuguese in like over a year, basically, except for a few interactions. And I sat there yeah. and I just, I didn't do any preparation. And I might, the whole point was to show people exactly how good or bad my, my those languages yeah. are. And I wanted people to see my mistakes. I want to, 
I want to show that humanizing fact aspect, right? So yeah, I, 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 right before we, we did this interview, I just, uh, I finished filming a segment for day two of my language learning process. So um, I, I made like 10 episodes all just about planning. Yeah. I took people through every single aspect. I, I made a folder on Google Drive. It's free. Again, we'll have a link in the description. <laughs> and you can see my blank dead time planner. You can see photographs of it half filled out, fully filled out. You can see my tracking sheets. Like I'm sharing truly like the day-to-day of, of, a, of a real polyglot and what it's actually like, uh, including yeah. the bad stuff, including my mistakes. Yeah, I hope to to see more of those, and and especially, man, you know, if you if you run into some some struggles or some challenges, maybe language specific challenges, mm-hmm. maybe some grammar points or something, that could be really interesting to to see. Uh, just because I know a lot of people will probably have the similar struggles. Yeah, so. and honestly, man, the comments that like the that my favorite comments, and I've been getting a lot of these, is a lot of people are just saying that it's the honesty, it's the transparency that they like. Yeah, and that's that's such a that's my favorite compliment right now, just because that's re- above all. That's what I want. I really do. You gotta have. When I have spoken know. a lot about this in the past, not just with language learning, but things like being a digital nomad, about yeah. how it's there's a lot of people online just showing all the good parts, right? Like being a polyglot. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff, but it's not all just uh, you know getting to travel around the world and and getting to order your food in six languages. Sure. It's not. You're not always on the metro, uh, eavesdropping on nine different conversations. There are some really, there are some big challenges. Like, for example, like we talked about, I have spent a lot of time alone learning languages. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff. So I, if nothing else, like I just, the two things I want to accomplish um, in the next five or 10 years or the rest of my career with language learning is I want to A, be someone that truly drives community and just a positive relationship between the people that create and also the consumers. Yeah. And second of all, I want to be someone that, that that depicts like an honest, transparent picture of what it's actually like to do. Yeah. Well, hopefully we can do that together. It's always been my kind of MO anyway to to show how hard it is. Uh, obviously we're very different learners and got very different skills, but at least we agree on on, on the idea of sharing everything and, and showing exactly how it is. Because I think if people are more uh, balanced in their expectations, they also have a much higher chance of succeeding right. and with it. Whereas if you give them completely unrealistic expectations, I think failure is almost certain. Exactly. So, I mean, I, it's easy for me. I could go make a video tomorrow and practice it and I could speak all eight languages perfectly, whatever else, but much harder to actually take people on a journey and, and show them every step. And so I've told my viewers, by the end of the year, my goal is to get all of those languages that I let that I had to neglect for the last eight months while I was doing this stuff. Yeah. Get them all back up to scratch to high levels and even improve them. And at the end of the year, you'll see if my methods are effective because uh, I'm going to do videos where I'm just going to like do live streams. I'm just going to have people ask me questions in whatever language they want. Being reasonable, of course, like not deliberately <laughs> trying to... Uh, but the right. point is, it's I'm just it's it's just all about transparency. It's like you know, um, so I, yeah, I'm having so much yeah. fun. I really am. And so, uh, just one last thing before we finish here, I just wanted to just give a little, um, I guess, a little question to the listeners. If you're listening to this, um, how are you maintaining your languages? You know, we've talked this whole episode about tips very practical tips on how to maintain languages the importance of it 
the reasons that Robin got into it, but how, what are you doing? What have you been doing? What have you found successful? It's always good to get other input. So if you want to go to actualfuzzy.com forward slash 117 and just leave a comment on there, me and Robin are going to be in and out of there checking out what, what, what experiences you've made and, and let us know in the comments as well if, if you've enjoyed Robin's practical advice on, on uh, language maintenance and and uh, what did we call reactivation uh, maybe yeah. and uh, if you got the book and enjoyed it as well uh, we also always in lo- love the comments and the interaction so mm-hmm. before we wrap up uh, any any final uh, things you want to just plug there Robin or just I just want to say out? thank you honestly thank not just to you but also for you I mean I know these are quite long discussions and uh, I to this day I still find it hard to believe that anyone watches my content on YouTube let alone you know, buying a book that I wrote or God knows what, like I honestly, it's, it's I'm still very humbled by <laughs> all of this. So frankly, just want to thank everybody for actually, um, for listening. And I, and I really do hope that, so that people have found you. So I just want to invite anyone to write to me, um, you know, come to the YouTube channel, leave a comment or even write to me at Robin at kumabrand.com. Um, and I really do try to, to engage and to respond as the best I can. So if there's anything I can do, yeah. reach out to me. Um, and uh, yeah, you guys are awesome. And so is Chris. So, 